Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. This is my dad, Ted. Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Knightsky. I believe that one of the single most difficult things in the world to do is to change an organization or a team. I mean, when you just suggest to groups that maybe we should do things a little different, <laughs> you are very, very, very rarely met with a resounding huzzah, let's do it different. I've struggled with this so much over the course of my life because I truly do not mind the conditions around me changing. As a matter of fact, I actually enjoy when there is a need to do things different. I find energy in the journey towards different problem solving. I just, I like it. I realize I'm in the minority, which is why I've had to continually get training in being more empathetic to others in the change process, preparing others for change, and supporting the visualization to a new normal. Sidebar. New normal. What does that mean? I mean, I know we all know what it means, but it seems like a polite way to tell people to get your act together. This is the way we're doing it. Anyway, as leaders, which we all are, we need to adopt processes to ensure that those we serve with can find success. Finding success when your instincts are telling you to fight change that challenges the status quo, well, that's one thing. Another is our habits and what is likely to be a very uncomfortable zone is not easy to always address. So we need a process. Remember, we subscribe to the idea that we lead each day with influence, which makes us leaders, and we charge into the storms we are facing in an effort to ensure we proactively and optimistically take on the challenges that we face. In order to support optimism and proactivity, we need to be intentional about creating the conditions that allow people to go through the stages of change. And the only way to do that is to ensure that they have what they need in order to be successful. Did you hear that? They have what they need. Oftentimes, people are really, I mean really good at telling you all the things that they don't like, what will go wrong, and how this will all fail. However, we don't always invite that open opinionating, and when we do, we fail to follow up. Well, guess what? Not anymore. What do we do when the people we serve come up with legitimate hurdles to a change? Well, we address it. What do we do when there are forces putting all of their energy behind ensuring the change fails? Well, we go to process. And before we go to process around managing change, well, I need to tell you a story. It is currently safe for me to tell the story about my wife, Megan, because she is in summer Megan mode. Megan's a middle school language arts teacher who easily puts in 14 hours every day of the week during the school year and at least four to six hours every Saturday and Sunday. She's a little pressure cooker during the school year. Literally, a little pressure cooker. She stands at 4 feet 11, tiny but mighty. When the school year ends and she goes into summer mode, whoo, wonderful. We love school year Megan a lot because of the passion she brings for her students and their learning. But summer Megan? <laughs> She's pretty awesome. Anyway, to help you understand this week's reflective process, I need to share a really unique aspect of my wife. At least, I think it's unique. Now, I don't have any comparisons for the following information, and that's why I think it's unique. I've been married to Megan for 24 years and 10 months. And as a child, I never really traveled around a lot. So watching my wife pack has always been an exercise in what the heck is she bringing? You see, there are people who can, 
unlike me, visualize all the problems that can happen. I joke that they're riddled with anxiety and they are over planners, but they are very useful when it comes to people like me walking around change singing Akuna Matata. Now, as a family, we are about to embark on a summer trip. It's our 16th such summer adventure together as a family of four. And every year, I come upon the exact same issue. Megan and her what-ifs. The what-ifs are how my wife lives her life. And when she packs, I'm always astounded. I mumble to myself as I'm tearing cartilage in my shoulder and my arms and getting myself a hernia, putting suitcases in the car, and wondering what on earth is all of this stuff for. I truly believe that if my wife was an aristocrat, she'd travel with 15 trunks and 22 cars with everything that we owned as we traveled to our country estate. Because she plans with what if in mind, and then she strategizes for all of the what ifs. Now, as I record this, I'm seriously afraid she'll hear me and lock me in this closet that I recorded. (laughs) But here is how I learned about change management from the way Megan packs for herself and our kids. So let's start with the basics. When we arrive at the hotel or rented house or wherever we are, you can hear a sigh of relief from the zipper on the suitcase when she opens the suitcase. As she unpacks, you'll see multiple jean jackets that all look the same. Several pairs of white jeans, multiple tops, several pairs of similar sandals, three or 50 jean skirts, and a ton of t-shirts in similar ranges of color. This suitcase of what-ifs becomes a then-we-will. You see, for every what-if, Megan has a, well, then we will. You see, when the queen of unforeseen problems, my wife Megan, puts together contingencies, well, she just becomes excellent at change management because she lives with a weird paranoia. In contrast, I will pack exactly how many days' worth of outfits I need. I will pack three pairs of shorts, five t-shirts, one swimsuit, running gear for two days, and a pair of shorts to sleep in, because I know we'll do laundry. My suitcase is the contingent space for all others and usually has all of the new and added hoodie lifeguard sweatshirts we end up buying because, you know, we need another one. I don't travel intentionally light. I just travel thinking, I'll wear this on this day and I never changed my mind. Megan? Well, that's a different story. Because she has what-if mindset about travel, her profession, and heck, everything else. She is always wondering or worrying about what could happen and planning for it, while I think to myself, "Mm, that's so unlikely to happen that I'm not even going to think about it. But people like Megan are really important in the change process, and I'll explain why in a moment. I need some more therapy talking about her luggage. Every trip we're ever on, Megan has everything for every moment. When she packs, she's saying to herself, what if I get a stain on this pair of white pants? Well, then I'll bring two pairs. What if it gets cold the nights I want to wear a jean skirt? Well, then I'll wear these pants if that happens. But what if the shirt is not enough and the sweater is too light and then I have already worn my other jean jacket? Well, then I'll bring this extra jean jacket. What if this pair of sandals breaks? Well, then I'll bring, I don't know, 20 other sets. I've noticed the last 24 years, 10 months, 17 days, and 7 hours that she is really good at this what-if business. And I'm not. I'm often shivering at night, appearing in photos on multiple days in the same shirt, because I don't care. But she does. And that is why she is so much more successful managing the changes when we're on trips. It is also why she worries 10,000 times more than I do. And that is why the what-if, then-what process is so important. 
This past winter, to help me help our organization lead others, I decided to go get certified in change management with a globally recognized process. I was virtually attending the training, and the certification program was filled with people from all over the world and companies of all sizes. And I was amazed as they taught us the science of change, and one area that they discussed was visualizing everything that could go wrong. Having people working together to identify everything that could go wrong and then determining strategically what to do, it was a good idea, but it was clunky and needed a lot of energy from management. Again, it was putting change in charge. And what I mean by that is that, I mean, you identify a change within your organization and then someone is in charge of that change. That's not how it's supposed to be. Instead, I believe we should take the wisdom and simplify it, incorporate collaboration, bring the change to everyone, and then delegate the tactics to those who will have to actually make the change. If you've ever been in a culture of continuous improvement training with me, you'll hear me say over and over and over, bring the problem to the problem. When we have to make change, it should never feel forced. It should provide choice and voice, but it should also be ripe with processes that allow people to beat up every step of the journey to ensure a successful change occurs. Imagine for a moment that there is a need to significantly change some habit in your organization, your system, your house. Let's say, for example, you're going to change the email platform and it has to be shifted. People who've done this, you know how frustrating it is when you have to change platforms. I'm still recovering from moving from Outlook to Google, and I think it was like nine years ago. You and I, we've all developed significant habits when it comes to electronics and software. I always knew where my stuff was, and you, you always knew where it was too. You had to grow to easily navigate all the elements of the new platform because you had already grown to easily navigate the old platform's elements. Now you end up in a room with some total techie who's whipping through how easy the new platform is and you're sitting around all of your other colleagues who are all frustrated and you leave with your head spinning and you're really, really tense because you're trying to remember that the password when you get back to your computer is password. Now, I want you to imagine the ideal training and implementation. If it would be planned by Megan's, the what-ifers of your organization, I want you to think what that would be like because Here's what you do. You clearly identify and explain the change using a current to desired state process and you show everyone here is where we currently are. Here are the four steps we're going to implement and here is where we're going to end up. Very clean, very simple. But then, now you take this micro-strategic planning tool and you go into a room of the what-ifers and you ask them to identify everything that could go wrong. You ask them to pack like Megan. I mean, yes, you should bring two raincoats on a trip because we're going near the ocean and what if there's a hurricane and one of the jackets blows away? Anyway, you show them that we are going to migrate from one email platform to another and you ask them to identify as many what-ifs as possible. You ready? What if people forget their password? What if laptops aren't updated and the new browser create problems? What if you miss the meeting? What if you lose the documents? What if the server glitches in the middle of the training? What if they can't find the G drive? What if people intentionally do not engage and actually attempt to sabotage the change? Ooh. You're brainstorming together and you create as many as possible what ifs. And then, for the benefit of everyone, you take each individual what if and you create a then we will statement. You see, 
In the change process, you have to prepare for all the ways the plan could fail and then plan for the failure by having a backup plan of contingency things that you'll do. My wife is a genius. Don't you tell her I said that. But Megan's a genius when she packs. She puts so many things in her suitcase that she never wears. It's actually mind-numbing to me. But she's always prepared. Can you say the same for how you lead and manage change? Doubtful. I know this because I have so many friends who call me and say things like, well, I didn't see that coming. No, probably not. Because you didn't ask everyone. But you know who could have seen it? Everyone. The crowd. Your organization. Everyone from your team who, when asked specifically to identify every way this could go sideways, will do it, and then they are incentivized to ensure they're not frustrated by putting in place a contingency, well, that's when things get done. Too often, the people charged with change sit in windowless rooms with not a lot of oxygen, with weird time constraints and accidental arrogance, and they oh, they seem to know everything that will happen. And then the plan hits the community, and the community goes wild because so many things went wrong. All these years, if I had been in charge of packing my children's suitcases, they'd have been very light, and I would have never thought to pack a long sleeve t-shirt in case they got sunburned. (laughs) Together, however, Megan and I are pretty good. So in your leadership, all you need to do is to create a two-column document, one column titled, What If?, and the second column titled, Then We Will. What if Charlie gets sunburned? Well, then we will have him wear a long sleeve t-shirt. What if people can't find their passwords? Well, then we'll have them check in with each staff member from administration or the IT team after we launch in their classrooms to ensure we give them and offer them individualized support. What if not all the laptops are updated? Well, then we'll collect the unupdated laptops at the beginning of the meeting. We'll run the refreshed updates before they need them and we'll have them prepared. Well, what if? Then we will. Do you see what I mean? I mean, how many times have people laid out a new idea or a change only to have tons of people grumbling and confronting the leader with statements like, did you ever think about, or they go back to your team and everyone is talking about how insensitive the changes of the timing is, or you get a text halfway through the meeting describing with very salty language their beliefs about the process, or you walk out in the parking lot and you get attacked by an angry colleague because you've created a ton of frustration because you hadn't thought of all the different ways this isn't going to work. Nope. No more. Now we create the what if and then we will document. We publish it. Yeah, we publish it so that everyone can see all the effort made to ensure all of our success. And then we leave the document open so that more people can contribute. As we embark upon all of the inevitable changes we are facing, we need to tackle them with a proactive spirit that focuses on all the ways it'll fail. We need to pack strategic plans with contingencies the way that Megan packs her suitcase. And as colleagues, we can't judge the other person's suitcase that's filled with what we may believe to be an unreasonable amount of contingencies because they have thought through scenarios we can't. And that is what will allow us to be successful, identify everything that could go wrong and every way that we could fix it. So let's do some smart thinking. Describe how you pack as a leader. List ways you could apply this process to grow ownership in your organization. And describe how you plan for failure in the change process. That's it. That's the Smart Thinking Podcast. Hey, as always, thank you for listening and please rate and share this episode on your platform, as well as making sure to follow the Well Pennies on whatever music platform you subscribe to because they're amazing and they give me this music for free and that makes them 
pretty awesome. Now, as we close out here, I want to share how Megan turned this on me and showed me that I too am actually a pretty big what ifer. It's when we camp and hike and when I'm fully in charge of the whole family. I have tons of what if stuff in my backpack. Nylon rope, because what if I'm lost and come upon a ravine? A shovel. (laughs) Yeah, I carry a shovel. Bags of wet wipes, tons of snacks, proteins, iodine in case we run out of water and we have to kill the bacteria in the pond water that I come upon. I have it all. A huge first aid kit that packs in really tightly because what if I slice open my calf, break my arm, or a kid gets hurt? And then Megan reminded me, do you remember this past winter when you and Grace went winter camping in a tent and it was five below zero and you insisted on buying a second backup heater for the tent in case the first one broke? And do you remember that the first one broke and you needed that extra one? I love it when she's right. Just so you know, I'm winking. We are all capable of what ifing and then we willing. Imagine if as an organization, we were intentional about bringing all the different voices and mindsets into the process to ensure that for every hurdle, we created a ramp. Now, I'm taking the next four weeks off to refresh, travel, and oddly, I will be taking one week that I will be walking Megan around with her big trunks of stuff, and then another week where Grace and I will be in the mountains with my bins of what-ifs. My point is this. We all have a perspective, worries, and the ability to visualize what could go wrong. And instead of us fighting it, let's embrace it. Let's plan for it and be successful. That is how we create processes that support people running into the storms that they are facing. Have a great month. I'm coming back in August for what is the fifth season of the Smart Thinking Podcast. I'll miss you, but I am sure that the adventures lying ahead for me will lead to more opportunities for us all to learn and grow together. Hey, put the world away. Fight a little longer until you feel okay. Cause there's nothing I can do when everything's the matter and there's no one left like you. Wait. Wait for the sunlight Love or leave what life would I lose? Ooh la la, ooh la 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 Don't you wanna feel it too? Thank you.